wonderful piece of music is especially for Terry Flanagan. If you've been listening to our roving reporter, stroke biologist for the past few weeks, you'll know that we gave him a signature tune. We first gave him the Pink Panther theme, but we felt it was a bit dull. So we opted for this instead. It's Casino Royale, Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass Band from 1967. I love it, but does he love it, Terry Flanagan? Do you like it, Terry? Do you like it? <laughs> Terry, you're so, so good to me. Do you know that? I'll never be able to thank you enough. Well, you can start. Anyway, Terry, you're not in studio. You're not even at your home in Dublin 15. Where exactly are you tonight? I'm not in the county of Dublin. No, you're dead right. I'm not even in the province of Leinster. I'm in Connacht. I'm in mm-hmm. County Galway and I'm with John Lusby. Now, as you know, we're doing a special programme on Barn Owls, which is going out next month. And John is the Raptor Conservation Officer with Birdwatch Ireland. And he's taking me down here to show me barn owls tonight. There's a nest of them very, very close to where we are. John, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, Terry. Delighted you made the journey. Now, you're not going to tell us exactly where we are, isn't that right? That's right, yeah. We always keep the, the nest site locations confidential, just, just for their own safety. But we're, we're in the general area, northeast Galway, so... OK. Yeah. And where we are is a good spot for barn owls, yeah? It is, and in fact, they're doing quite well here. I never thought I'd say it, but it's fantastic. Positive conservation success story. We're actually noticing an increase in numbers in this area and in other parts of the country which is fantastic something that I, that I, never, I never thought I'd be in a position to say so really really good to, to see the, the signs of initial population recovery for barn owls. Because you started working on barn owls about I think it was 2005 or so and the numbers then were, were tiny I think it was something like 30 or 40 pairs in the whole country. That's right very very different story back then and you know we've really seen the you know changes over time and we're, you know we're, we're learning the reasons for those changes but but uh, it was a very, very different story back then. Actually, interesting enough, the site that we will be visiting shortly is a nest that has been active since back then. But as you say, there was very few nest sites that we knew of back, if we go back as, uh, as far back as 2005. Much different story now. Much healthier population and going in the right direction, which is which is fantastic. Now, going in the right direction, as you say, but it's taken a lot of work from people like you and many, many others. It has, yeah. A lot of people around the country have really, you know, invested time and effort and energy into helping barn owls. Uh, um, through a range of different measures, providing nest boxes, you know, habitat improvement. And it's good to see that hard work paying off. But in general, you know, because of the fact the population is recovered, we should really make sure that that remains the case. And we don't want to be having this conversation 10 years from now and talking about the decline again. So while the numbers are good, it's really important to make sure that remains the case and that the, the numbers continue to build. Because I would say, even though the population has slowly increased, it's still not at the levels that it would have been about 50, 60 years ago. And it would be great, you know, to, to continue that the, the population continues to restore to those levels. What's the one thing that the ordinary Joe Soap and the public can do that would help barn owls? Can you give me two main things? Okay, <laughs> if you don't mind. So the two main things, habitat uh, to, to leave wild areas that, that helps barn owls it helps other um, their prey which, which barn owls depend on small mammals as well as a wide range of other species so to leave space for nature that's absolutely essential and it will have huge benefits for not only barn owls but, but, but wildlife in general and the other thing is rat poisons to if you can stop using rat poisons use other means of controlling rodents because that's a, it's a huge issue in Ireland that uh, we know that many many species of wildlife are exposed to, to, to rodenticides or rat poisons and that 
that and that affects them and they can be they're present in the food chain so they were if I was to give two that there's, there's many more but they would be the two most important and the ones that if you were to take those measures would bring the greatest benefits Well it's fantastic news that the Barnells are making a recovery of sorts but that's for a documentary Terry which will be broadcast as part of RT Radio 1's Nature Nights towards the end of October we'll tell you more about that as the weeks progress but tonight it's all about wildflower meadows Terry your report that is Yes, it is. Derek, recently I was down in County Waterford and the National Biodiversity Data Centre. Uh, That was about three weeks ago or so, and I went down to talk to Dr Una Fitzpatrick. She's the senior ecologist there. Now, as you know, we are constantly going on about biodiversity on the programme and how important it is. It's so important to our insects, and the insects are so important then to the food chains. Well, anyway, I went down to have a look at their meadow, because meadows are incredible things, and I think Nowadays, more and more people want to do something positive in their own gardens to help wildlife. And there's nothing better to do than create a meadow. So that's what led me to travel down to County Waterford. And Una explained to me how easy it is to create a meadow and also to highlight the fact that individuals can make a difference for wildlife. I'll bring you over here, Terry, to our wild meadow. Oh, it's absolutely lovely here. And we're just on top of the, I think that's the N25, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So this is outside the National Biodiversity Data Centre in Waterford. And what I'm looking at here are a mass of wildflowers. Some people might call them weeds. I'm not going to call them weeds. I see some beautiful knapweed here. But the one thing I do notice is the huge number of insects that are present. Yes. So we've been establishing this meadow for about eight or nine years. Mm. So it used to be uh, farmland. So we brought it back out of farmland and established it as a long flowering meadow. Um, now, what's a long flowering meadow? Yeah, so I will just say that you can have two types of meadows. One is short flowering and, a, and the other is long flowering. In both cases, you're just reducing the frequency of mowing. So with the short flowering meadow, instead of mowing every couple of weeks, you might mow every six weeks. And that allows things like dandelion, clovers, you know, self-heal to pop up and provide food for, for insects and other biodiversity. The other option then is a long flowering meadow. And that's where you just cut once a year in September and remove the cuttings. Nowadays, a lot of people are trying to get away from the short-cut grass to creating a meadow. So what a meadow is, is really just a lawn that hasn't been cut. Yeah, exactly. And what you're doing is replicating what would have happened in an old hay meadow. Mm-hmm. So it's really that. So you're just reducing the cut. And, and the long flowering meadow, the best way to do it, is, as I say, is just cut once a year in September. And there's two reasons why people do this. I presume, number one, for themselves, so they can look out at the beautiful coloured flowers and the variety of flowers that you get in the meadow. You get the oxide, the knapweed, the lovely purple knapweed. You've got the poppies, the red poppies. You've got the ragged robins, the blues. So you've got the whole spectrum of But it's also much more important for the insects. Exactly. It's an absolutely gorgeous habitat for us, you know, and I can't stress how lovely it is. And you can do this in any area. It can be in the smallest garden, you know, to the biggest field, to the longest roadside verge. It's a gorgeous habitat for humans. As you just described, it's teeming with life. And that is the point. It is so rich in biodiversity. It's such an important habitat for wildlife and one that has really been decimated in recent decades. But so easy to bring back, you know, that the cost is very little. It's just you have to manage it properly, you have to be patient, and you have to allow it to come back. There's a ma- You just described them. It's amazing plants in the soil seed mm. bank that try to grow every year and get chopped off by lawnmowers. And I, you know, never, I never even mentioned the orchids. 
Exactly, and that's what happens. You know, you start the thing about a long flower meadow is you do have to be patient, mm. um, but ultimately that's that's what you get. You see orchids starting to come back, you know, after five, six, seven years, and just stunning to see these little plants getting a chance to come back and, and support all the other insects that need them. Now there are two ways really about creating a meadow like this. Number one, I presume, is take everything out, cut everything, remove the soil, and start from scratch by planting wildflower seeds. Or the other is just not to mow at all. I would say there's only one way to do it, and that's one good way to do it, and that's not to mow at all. Really? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, that is the best, most cost-effective way to help pollinators and other biodiversity is just to allow these meadows to naturally regenerate. There's three things you have to be aware of. One is you have to cut in September and you have to remove the cuttings. So that's really important. And what that does is allows the soil fertility to drop because when the soil fertility is really high, you get the fast-growing things like grasses and docks and ragwort. They'll take over. So you have to take the cuttings away, allow the soil fertility to drop, which gives the wildflowers a chance to come in over time. Second thing is it does still require management. So you need to go through your meadow you know, a few times each year and take away those really large, fast-growing plants. Things like dock, things like hogweed, things like ragwort, maybe some of the thistles. You need to remove those. And the third thing is you just have to be patient. Mm. It'll start out grassy, but it will get better year on year if you keep managing it. I know a lot of people might be inclined to say, oh, would it be okay if I just add some seed? I like the red poppies, for instance. The thing I would say is if you want to add some seed, what you should do is collect that seed from another natural meadow in your local area and use that. Um, I would be really, or I would caution against going off and buying a packet of wildflower seed. That is something entirely different. That's a style of gardening. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not bringing back this native Irish habitat. Um, when you buy a packet of wildflower seed, it's a mix of flowers, you know, to be honest, put together for humans to look really beautiful and colourful. It bears no resemblance to what you'd find in a native meadow like the one we're looking at now. So that's fine, but it's a style of gardening. The best thing to do is to don't mow, let it grow. Looking at this meadow that's here now, looking at the... There, are, there must be a hundred bumblebees I can see here. I don't know the names of them all, but I know the, the white-tailed bumblebee and yeah. a few others. And they're just going about their business here. Yeah. What type of plants do they want? That's a really important point. They want the really simple things. So the big showy things that we like are not what they want. So they want dandelions in early spring. They want vetches. They want selfiel. They want birdsweet truffle. And at this time of year, they want the knapweed. Mm. So these are all really simple plants that will come back anywhere when you just don't mow, let it grow. And, and you're right, I can see four different bumblebee species just in that one knapweed beside us here. Yeah. And the thing about knapweeds is chock-a-block with nectar. But it has a phenomenal amount of nectar compared to other wildflowers. Now, a lot of people may not know the difference between a knapweed and a thistle because looking at them, they look very, very similar. Really, the only difference between them to the layman is a sting. So when people might see this beautiful flower, they might be inclined to say, oh, pull that out because it's a stinger. Well, do you know, the thing to do is go along and have a look in August because mm. knapweed is flowering now and you can see it's got that beautiful purple-coloured flower. The difference between knapweed and a thistle is that knapweed will stay where it is, whilst a thistle at this time of year has really gone to seed and is going to spread quite a bit. Knapweed stays where it is. It might expand a little each year, but it's not going to you know, run riot and take over. For someone starting now at this time of the year, what would you advise if they wanted to create a wildflower meadow in their garden? I'll say firstly that that is the best action that you can take for biodiversity in your garden. So at this time of year, 
it's a little bit difficult. The best thing to do is to decide what part of your garden you're going to do this in next year. So you might want to start slowly. You know, you can just reduce mowing. Maybe you mow every couple of weeks. You know, you could start saying, well, okay, I'm going to just reduce that to once a month or once every six weeks. You know, we have a few campaigns, let dandelions be in April and then no more May. That's a really good introduction to this because it shows you how important this grassland habitat can be and how easy it is to bring it back in gardens. You can then take it up a step further and identify, you know, a small or a large area of your garden where you might want to have these long flowering meadows where you just cut once a year in September. We do this in our garden just along a strip on the side. Um, so it's we let it grow right throughout the year, cut in September and lift the cuttings. And it is honestly just amazing to see it. It's buzzing all the time. And each year, different little plants pop up. So some year you get, you know, a profusion of speedwells or the years there's loads of oxide daisy you know maybe it's self heal there's an weed there at the minute and i have yet to go past it but there are insects on it mm. which shows how valuable it is and at no cost people have been taking more of an interest in wildflower gardening now is it having an effect on our insects it's definitely having a positive impact there's a biodiversity crisis we need to return the habitats that they need for a lot of us, it's hard to return habitats like sand dunes or bogs, but there are two that we can. One is hedgerows, particularly on farmland, and the second are these meadows. We can all return pockets of these meadows, and the collective impact of doing that is absolutely huge. You know, so you can see the benefit to insects and to other biodiversity. There's some research in the UK by Plant Life, and they show that in a typical meadow, you get about 1,400 different invertebrates supported by that meadow. That is huge, you know, both above and below ground. So really, it's impossible to stress what an important biodiversity habitat they are. Really, we do have to look after our insects. There's no getting away from that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're seeing catastrophic declines. You know, a third of our bees are threatened with extinction. There's a crisis. But at the same time, you know, we can change it. And through the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan, we've been trying to do that. And people really have got behind it and are making the changes that are necessary to protect these insects into the future. Because you know that we're so dependent on them, whether we, whether we fully realise it or not. Because often we think, as individuals, we can't make a difference. It's really up to governments and NGOs and the likes. But we can make a difference. We 100% can make a difference. And I think the All-Ireland Pollinator Plan has shown that there are people across all sectors who are taking action. And when you put those small actions together, the collective impact is huge. And we're seeing that. You know, so you can. It can be hard to feel empowered to know what to do in a crisis, you know, like climate or biodiversity. But you really, really can help. You can help in your garden. You can help in your farm. You can help in your tidy towns group. And they would say that tidy towns groups have been really amazing at embracing this and changing the way local areas are managed for the better. So wildflower meadow gardening and the no-mow system, that's the way forward? That is 100% the way forward. And we always say patience over packets. Just don't mow. See what comes up give biodiversity a chance to return they couldn't leave a better legacy I couldn't agree more more details as always on our website rte.ie forward slash Mooney